Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, a resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. All right. So, yes, yeah, so we're concluding the preface. Uh, and boy, am I glad it took us a while because I didn't realize what we were getting into. Uh, the Bhagyana Bhairava comes across as a very, almost like an easy to take text. 112 ways to meditate. These short little aphorisms that you can just sort of bring with you, it seems like, on the car ride to work or, you know, just like put in your back pocket. When in reality, after reading this preface with you all and working with it, I'm starting to see that that would be the, the, the surface uh, of, of what's available. Um, throughout this preface, Shiva and Parvati have basically been talking about how to use techniques, meditation techniques, without being limited by the technique. And Shiva went so far as to say, techniques are all, what was the word, Bob? bogus techniques are bogus is what shiva said he said every technique you've heard of is bogus none of them are the real path well today we're going to conclude the preface and uh we will hear what the real path is uh on the real path we must tread which is how parvati or shakti put it in the uh in the original question to shiva she said, what is the real path we have to tread? In a way of saying, what's the best technique I could use to meditate? And Shiva's like, none of them. None of them are what you're actually looking for. Uh, meaning, if you are going to rely on a technique, you'll never get there. Now, he also says, techniques are open the door. Techniques are essential to beginning your practice, to keeping you pointed in the right direction. But... You have to learn how to transition from the technique to the experience. And that has really been the focal point of this preface, like over and over and over again. And we're going to see uh, one more or two more um, metaphors here to conclude, to help sort of let that land for us yet again, a way of Shiva and Shakti helping us understand what is the relationship between the technique and the experience so that's where we pick up from um all right when in one who enters the state of shakti there ensues the feeling of non-distinction between shakti and shiva then that yogi acquires the state of shiva for in the agamas she shakti is declared as the door of entrance into shiva Shakti is like Shiva's face. Thanks, Marcella. Ah, it feels good, so good when technology works. It's great. So take a moment with that. For all of you in the room, by the way, I'm going to give you a sheet later with all these quotes on them. So don't feel like you have to just write them all down frantically unless you like to do that. All right. So let's let's take a let's take a breath with this. Okay.
Oh, we have a comment already. Yes. Um, go ahead and unmute that or just, un, you know, flick it on and go for it. Um, you don't have to put the, hi, everyone. Can you hear me? It's Abaya. Hi. Um, I, uh, reading this quote really makes me think of Babaji and faith. Um, and I'm sure so many of you have had the experience of maybe being new at the ashram or visiting Shoshone and you might not meet Babaji right away or you see him from afar, but you definitely meet faith and faith comes up to you and wants to know like who you are and where you're from. And, and it really is like this experience, like she's, mm -hmm. um, the the doorway where you first really connect and then down the line you you experience Shiva. Awesome. <laughs> I think that that makes that's just perfect sense. Uh everybody nod your head to that one. Yeah. Faith is is the face you know, of our, uh, sort of of our practice. I remember she was the, you know, came up to me when I was first at Shoshone and she was like, hi, you know, I've, uh, you're the new work study. And she gave me this big hug and I was like, whoa, that's the first person I've touched since I've been here. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was really nice. Um, things are a little more stoic at that time for some reason. Um, nonetheless, uh, she definitely was that for me and for Abaya and for a number of us. And according to the teachings, uh, Shakti, which translates to meaning manifestation. Okay, so Shiva manifests as Shakti. Um, we all want to, we uh, on the car ride down from, we're, we're doing an off-site training right now. So we're training off-site because we're, you know, not doing commercial things at Konalani. And so the... Charlotte and Colin and I were driving down from the training today and uh, Colin was like, whoops, there goes my phone. It's playing. Sorry. And it was that George Harrison song where he's like, I really want to see you, my sweet Lord. And he's just like, I really want to see you, Lord, you know, and he's like saying that. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is really hard to see Shiva. You know, it, it is it is inherently in there where he's just like, I just want to see God, I just want to have this direct experience. Like, why can't I just do it? You know, Babaji says, just because we decide to meditate doesn't mean the curtains open. And oh, here I am. But rather, it's this like process that has to unfold, you know, over time. And as the 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 Bhagavad has said already, it's an experience we can definitely have, but it's not something that we might ever be able to. Uh, explain or point to you know with our mind or our senses yet it is absolutely available so we want to see shiva but we really see shakti and then it's up to us to start to, to make that transition and that's what we're going to talk about here uh in the next quote is that that transitional space like how to get from shakti to shiva any questions or comments popping up about this So let's take uh, a couple of minutes right now before we go into another set of quotes uh, to just connect to their breath. And so the breath itself is a perfect example of Shakti. 
It's a pulsation. It's a manifestation. It's never the same twice. We know it's coming from our source. We can trust it. No one's selling us the breath. You know, you don't have to subscribe to it. It's it's just, it's from God. It just feels like, yes. Yet, when you turn your attention to your breath, does this feel like you're seeing Shiva? Does it feel like you're seeing God right away? Your true nature? It probably feels a little mundane at first, if you're anything like me or like most people in the practice. And then how do you get from the physical breath to the subtler experience of our breath? That you can do with technique. You can. It can take you in that direction. So, for example, when you smooth out your breath, And then you start to try to keep your breath smooth and even, but use less and less effort with each breath. A little bit less effort. Not no effort, less effort. Notice the pauses between the breaths, but don't hold on to them. So where is Shiva in this experience? There's a lot of Shakti. You can feel the breath. There's a lot of manifestation. And I think the best part is answering that question for yourself. What is different? about your experience of the breath when you start to use the technique of a breath meditation? What changes in you? How does your perception of reality shift? Each of us is at a different point in our sadhana and in our karma. And so we can't compare our experiences that well, per se. But each of us can have a shift, and that shift points to Shiva. And that shift also points to the proper 
perception of Shakti, of manifestation. As you allow the eyes to open, you know, we don't really have to stop feeling. We don't really have to stop surrendering. You know, we, we work with all of manifestation in the same way that we work with our breath. Eventually, I would, I would, to my understanding. And so Shiva is going to conclude this conversation um, with one more metaphor. <clears throat> Uma, are you in a position to read this next slide? <clears throat> yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, really well. Thanks. This one? Oh, yeah. Did Just it... as I... Yeah. Just as by means of the light of a lamp and the rays of the sun, of the sun, portions of space, etc., are known, even so, oh dear one, by means of Shakti is Shiva, one's own essential self cognized, i.e., recognized. Thanks, Uma. Good to see you. So here Shiva is is giving us a way of understanding this idea of going, how can we recognize the relationship between manifestation, Shakti, and Shiva, like that which resides beyond, but somehow that which we are. And the image given is just by as by means of the light of a lamp or the rays of the sun, things are illuminated. You, you can perceive what's around you. In this same way, Shakti illuminates your true nature. Manifestation can be the light that actually illuminates who you are. If you use it, if you use it well, you know, if you use your practice, because as we know, we can get externalized all too easily. Uh, objects can just become objects. Uh, and that actually takes practice to use our life for growth. Remember what we're reading here. This is the Vigyana Bhairava. It's a tantric practice. Tantric, to my understanding, means, uh, and like from the 112 ways we're about to use, literally using horizontal methods and, and, and practices to go vertically. Right. It's it's literally about using your life for growth. Babaji always tells a story of of talking to Ramdas and Ramdas and Babaji sort of talking about Rudy because they both studied with Rudy. Um, I don't know the extent Ramdas did, but he was, you know, there. And Ramdas said to Babaji, Rudy was one tough tantric Baba. You know, and we all know Rudy used to say in all of his teachings using your life for spiritual growth. That was like his essential, to, to my understanding, his essential core teaching. He lived in New York. He was literally trying to show how you could grow tremendously, achieve your enlightenment right in the middle of Manhattan. And, uh, and so his work revolved around, like we have to learn how to use our karmic situation to, to go up, to, to use it, to go a certain direction, to go vertically. 
So we sort of know this stuff in our tradition better than we realize. It's really at the core of what Babaji and our lineage has been, you know, talks about endlessly. Nonetheless, here we get to hear Shiva talking about it 4,000 years ago as a means for anyone to grow. Cool. So um, any questions or comments right there before I, we pull apart this quote a little? Cool. So Jaidiva Singh, one of the foremost commentators on this text, one of the two translators that we're using um, of the text, uh, takes this analogy apart and um, expands it in three directions. So I found it pretty helpful. So I thought we'd look at it. This was actually in the commentary on the section. Um, so let's see, Anandama, are you available to read this next quote? Yes. There are three points suggested by the simile. Number one, just as the flame of the lamp is not different from its light, just as the rays of the sun are not different from the sun, even so Shakti is not different from Shiva. Thanks, Anandama. So we heard this echoed in a couple of verses ago. Um, where Shiva is literally saying it's it's well known that the manifestations of fire, such as lightning, a cooking flame, or light, are not different from fire. Like we all know that. Well, in the same way, Shakti is not different from Shiva. And so we revisit that concept here. Just as the flame of the lamp is not different from the light it produces. So this could be as simple as the practice of of the the object based practice, you know, where you sort of look around the space that you're in, and or even just sort of like soften your gaze and feel the whole space that you're in, and you just uh, use the sort of the affirmation or the almost the self posed concept here of everything around me is a manifestation of shiva everything here is shiva inner objects sacred images other people and again the important thing in this moment is not explaining this to yourself or even to another but it's asking yourself like is there any shift in your experience of reality when you entertain that possibility? Now, this is something we we actually do quite a bit. When you look at a sacred image of the divine, you all have something in your room right now that's sacred to you. When you look at something sacred, you're looking at an object. So go ahead and you can try that one. You're looking at an object 
but you are connecting to your heart while you're looking at the object. And in that way, you actually give life to that that object, to that statue, that murti. And we might be hesitant to look that intently at things that we're, as we're walking down the street, but it's an internal state. It doesn't actually make you more vulnerable, more vulnerable to anything. It's just a, it's a way of you opening your heart, not horizontally, but vertically to this life that's in everything. Because I think there's a big difference between just sort of saying this here and, and actually practicing it. Because I want to bring up a quote from Rudy to me that sort of like shows us what it really takes to feel that. Pujari, would you be available to, to read this quote from Rudy? We must come to understand that everything is part of perfection and must be taken in a state of surrender. It must be digested and transcended. Life must be consumed whole with all its tensions, pain, and joy. Only by surmounting a situation can we achieve the understanding and nourishment that that situation offers. My spirit grew by eating that which encompassed me. Thanks, Pujari. Everything is part of perfection, okay? So everything is Shiva is another way of saying that. And we must take in everything in a state of surrender. What is the first thing that Babaji says when he's talking about surrender? It doesn't mean you're becoming a doormat. doesn't mean you're saying, oh, I give up. Um, it's an internal quality that we bring, a state of receptivity, um, which Rudy says right away, he says, it must be digested and transcended. That's why we're surrendering. Um, when we apply this practice to the tensions, the pains, and the joys of our life, so not only just inner objects, not only sacred images, uh, even to the mundane, the mundane commute we might have, when we start to apply our practice to the tensions, the pains, and the joys, and the mundanes, um, to my understanding from this quote, um, he seems to be saying that that's when we start to actually understand uh, this concept of everything is Shiva. And that's when we start to actually receive the nourishment that that situation is offering us. And he, he sort of finishes by summarizing it, saying, my spirit grew by eating that which encompassed me, you know, and it's a powerful statement, could take a lifetime to understand. But there's something really specific happening where he says, my spirit grew. So I grew spiritually by eating, which is a metaphor for this, this process, this tantric process of using your practice amidst manifestation 
And then this encompassing aspect means something that feels like it was bigger than me, something that made me feel small, something that made me feel contracted. When I started to apply my practice to that experience, and I started to eat at eat away <laughs> at that experience with my practice, I grew by eating this thing that was bigger than me. So it's one thing to, you know, feel Shiva again with an inert object. Oh, that's Shiva. Or this Ganesh Murti, that, that's a representation of my true nature. I can, I can feel that. But it's like when we start to apply it a lot, you know, and I'm so ready for this text because I'm just, I'm just ready to take the dive, you know, so to speak, or I'm excited to take the dive. I don't know if I can, if you're ever truly ready, um, of just saying like, yeah, what does happen when we start to apply it to every different layer of our uh, experience? What What's going to happen? Like, don't, what, what would it really be like if we didn't reserve it so much for times when we felt like we should or could practice? Any comments or questions thus far? We've got just a little bit more text to go. Right, point two. Oh yeah, go ahead, Anandama. Could you go to the slide before this for a second? Sure. So when we were reading this, I read that last line as even so, I am not different from Shiva and tried to experience it that way. And I really, it, there was a little shift. There was a little, it was nice. I don't have words for it. <laughs> so well, I'm glad it landed. There you go, it landed. Yeah. Yeah. That I really I think sometimes we we use these techniques, you know, the murti, the water bottle, the situation at work. Um, but there's just saying like I am Shiva. If we remember from the very beginning of the preface, they said that was the one thought that was not limited there's only one thought in all of manifestation that actually is has no limit on it like everything else every other way of describing shiva it will be limited but if you say i am shiva that's it actually is okay it actually could take you all the way to your enlightenment and i think it's because everything about us like personally you know everything revolves around that sense of i it's almost like on a very mundane level, they say the only way to actually raise your IQ is to learn another language. I don't know why exactly, but I do, I would consider it to be because it will affect every aspect of your understanding. You know, you have to change everything. So when your meditation is like, I am Shiva, which is what we are repeating, Hamsa, I am that. Um, relating this Shiva quality to yourself sort of almost takes is the equivalent of relating everything in your day to it. Thanks, Ananama.
There's a second aspect to this, Bob, if you don't mind reading uh, the second part of the meta uh, simile. Uh, two, just as through the lamp or the sun, objects of the world are perceived. Even so, through Shakti, the universe is known. Thanks, Bob. Pretty similar to our earlier point, but just reiterating the idea. I know we always want to take Shakti and Shiva, and we we do want to say they two they well not not only us but even the text say two sides of the same coin. We want to. For the sake of, but they always also say, for the sake of conversation, we're separating them. But they're not separate. You know, just as through the lamp or the sun, objects of the world are perceived. There, we see these objects in front of us. And we think there's an object, and then there's the light illuminating the object. It's like, mm, I, I'm right there with you, but according to the text, the light and the object need each other. There isn't really one without the other. And this isn't meant to be one of those things that you say like in high school that is really trippy um, and cool, but it's it's literally the, uh, as the text says, uh, the, the cooking flame and the kettle, it's like without each other, they don't even exist. There's no kettle without a cooking flame, you know? It's like the union. Um, and so remember the text that this text is situated within is called the Rudra Malaya Tantra. And that means union of Shiva and Shakti. Union is this key word that we can't miss. Um, we're not here to separate the two and talk about them separately or talk about sort of how they interact, but rather we're, we're actually here to experience experience the union it's almost like nobody wants a cooking flame or a kettle we want tea we want tea like we're not so it's like let's focus on let's get the tea let's let's drink the tea let's have some you know let's get there um and so reiterating that point again we're not here to separate shiva and shakti to dissect this experience we're here to have this experience And it brings us to the last part of the simile. Jatila, I haven't heard from you in a while. I'd love to hear your voice. Three, just as to perceive the light of the lamp, another lamp is not required. Just as to perceive the sun, another sun is not required. They are known by their own light. Even so, Shiva is known by their Shakti is not different from them. Thanks, Atila. Pretty cool. I sat with this one for a minute. So if you get this one already, you're ahead of me. Uh, I needed some time with that. It's like, whoa.
the light that eventually illuminates this space inside of us that we're trying to see uh, is not going to come from the outside. It's actually going to come from within us. And that light that we're, we're using right now, the light that we're using to illuminate the room that you're in, to hear these words, to read this text, there's this inner light, Prakasha, that is illuminating our world. It's that light that's coming from within us that is eventually going to be the very light that illuminates us. The sutras said numerous times, the Shiva sutras, um, that no one can uh, tell you exactly where the path is. No one can describe it right enough for anyone else. And I think it's pointing to this similar point that no one can actually shine a light on us enough to sh to actually enlighten us. Like the light has to come from with within and sort of bend back. If that's even a sufficient metaphor, I don't know. But the idea, oh, and I see an approach, Mr. Shoni, go for it and unmute. Hello. I can almost hear you. It maybe just go ahead and say something. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Um I uh hi, I, I'm I'm fairly new to these, although I've seen can you hear me okay? Yeah, I'm just focusing. It's a little echoey. I got it. Ah, because it's okay. Go for it. Go for it. Um, I had a question about this quote, and it might be just more about semantics. But I was wondering why um, there and they is at the end. Like even so, Shiva is known by their Shakti, who is not different from them. Why is it plural, or why are such pronouns for Shiva and Shakti there? I was thinking if I, if I was to ask myself this question, I was thinking just as to perceive the light of the lamp, another lamp is not required. Just as to perceive the sun, another sun is not required. And this is an old teaching, I've heard it before. But um, I was thinking that maybe if it's being rewritten in this sense, because they're giving the example of the lamp and the sun, then even so Shiva is known by their Shakti. So is the Shiva here, um, the lamp and the sun, is that why it's plural? Um, and then who is not different from them? I was just curious about the pronouns. Well, I have to admit, in my efforts to be inclusive, I have been changing the pronouns on a lot of our texts. So... I wouldn't let that slow you down because I, I didn't get approval from Shiva to, to do that. I'm just trying to sort of you know, work with it. Um, I just want to, I, I, it feels funny to have the he and the she and when you're talking about these bigger concepts, but there might be something missing uh, from that, you know, in our efforts, but yeah. So thanks for picking up on that. Um, so if that's what the question's about, then I just leave it in your court to just feel with it. But I guess you could know. Um, it said, 
even so, Shiva is known by his Shakti, who is not different from him. Uh, and it would say, just as, uh, yeah, they are they are known by their own light. That was actually just referring to the similes metaphor. So, but yeah, I hope that it doesn't isn't confusing. And if there's another question in there, um, feel free to ask. No, I don't think so. I think that this is where language sort of gets in the way of of the, the texts and translating them. And I appreciate you taking this time. Thank you. Sure. To go through yeah, it. yeah, it's interesting. Even though the whole point of this text is union, uh, mm -hmm. in which case the he and the she can sort of almost be put on hold for a moment because every single verse they come back to, but it's about union. Uh, nonetheless, I still felt like, ah, we might not see that today. So I don't want to leave people with that taste, you know, in their mouths. But um, yeah, because union is <laughs> the only thing that's important in this text. The he, the she, and the they um, sort of all melt away uh, in the end. Thank you. Thank you. Good to hear from you, Shoshone. I never, you know, I never, I know it's always a little complicated with the mics in the room, but it's so fun to hear from you. So, so I just wanted to bring up this uh, image. This is an image of uh, Milarepa that Faith uh, painted. It's a Tonka painting. And my mind went to Tonka paintings when I saw this quote um, because did you know that in Tonka, somebody, Jatil is nodding his head. He's like, I know what he's going to say. Did you know that in Tonka paintings, there's no shadows? Because everything in this astral realm is illuminated from within. So everything is its own sun in the Tonka painting world. Yeah, so you're never going to see a shadow. So, you know, it's sort of this, and that is literally, you know, the exact concept that the Vigyana Bhairava is sort of uh, closing here with is that um, we are the self. You know, as Anandama was saying, when you relate it to the essence of who you are, you know, that's what we're going for. We are Shiva. Manifestation is also Shiva. You know, you can only sit on your cushion for so long a day. So we have to be able to do both. Find Shiva on our cushion find Shiva in our reality, back and forth, day after day, you know, to make this metaphor, this simile, uh, a reality, you know, uh, oh, we're all, we all are the shining sun inside of us. Well, it takes practice to see that, it takes surrender. Um, it's not, it's by no means impossible, but uh, it does, it does take some work. So yeah, we'll transition to meditation, but I see a hand and I'm happy to take other hands. Go for it, Anandama. I, I did not know that about Tonka's paintings. And what, what came to me is that with the light shining within, it burns away our shadows. And like that digestion, it consumes. I, I'm just thinking, just saying this out loud to process it out loud. But I, I think that landed again for me. <laughs> Another landing. Thank you. So yeah. Yeah. Me, digesting so there are no shadows the light is just yeah that's the technical term <laughs> and and the shadows are the the food the they're the thing we're eating to grow uh, it's too easy to be like a land without shadows welcome uh but it's 
Rudy would be like, sounds uh, like a boring place to be. Not that he would ever say the astral realm is boring, but for us to visualize such a land would be like, oh, I'll just wait for that. Um, but it's like, no, actually, it's all these shadows that are, are exactly what we're going to have to consume to produce this light that's shining from within us that would actually eliminate those those shadows. I don't know if that's eventually the space we're going to land in. I don't remember. You know, I feel like Rudy focused more and our teachers focused just more on like, hey, one foot in front of the other. Like if you can use this situation and this one and this one and this one, you know, that's where you arrive, you know. So but I like that you brought in the concept of the shadow and sort of related it, you know, to our work. So that was super helpful. Any final thoughts before we shuffle in our seats and meditate? Okay, Bob. Uh, this is strange, but I was thinking about when I'm dreaming, I don't think I've ever been aware of a shadow in my dreams. <laughs> well, now you will. <laughs> yeah, I'll be watching for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, no, but just, it's a good point. The subtle realm, that's true. Are there shadows in our thoughts? You know, I mean, there might be metaphorical ones, but I think I, I get what you're saying. Like that subtle realm that we do visit that isn't that far from our awareness on a nightly basis or even just in the realm of thinking itself. It's a good point. All right, well, feel free to shuffle around a little bit. I'm going to leave this image of Milarepa up on the screen. Make sure you're going to be comfortable for about, you know, 12 or so minutes for meditation. Take a moment to smooth out the body and the breath. I would say that shadows in the mind are worries. they are the 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 thoughts that distract us you know because as you sit and just try to be physically still just try to smooth out the breath You may not experience this light, this effulgent light that the sutras and the Vigyana Bhairava describes, that our teachers describe. And that's pretty much where we're all at.
But if you allow your awareness to travel inwards towards this center of the chest physically, but we know it's not the physical chest per se, but it's just the center, the center of our heart. You feel that you're traveling towards a space that is uh, illuminated. And it's not by pushing away the sounds or the itches or whatever might be distracting us, even the thoughts, these manifestations. It's by learning how to use them skillfully. It's by surrendering those things that we actually find our center. We all want the face of Shiva to be a welcoming face that says this way to Shiva. But more often than not, it's a distracting thought. It's a sore spot in your body. It's something that you actually have to let go of. But those thoughts are the thoughts you have to let go of, not by focusing on them, but by honestly surrendering them, by feeling the attachment, feeling the distraction, and consciously releasing it in order to find this light source within you in order to feel it. Hum, sa, hum as you inhale, sa as you exhale. I am that. What is meant by that is beyond the mind, yet experienceable. Don't limit your practice by trying to define that, or even to visualize it, feel it. Go there. 
go in that direction. Allow each inhale to draw your focus towards the heart. And as you exhale, allow that space of the heart to gently expand.
the last minute. Allow the eyes to open just a little bit if they aren't already and imagine for a moment the heart being the source of light that is illuminating your world right now instead of a, a light bulb or the sun. Imagine everything you see around you illuminated by your own heart. And you can see how that brings you your awareness to your center. And how it doesn't cut you off from what's around you. It's not accepting or rejecting it. It just helps you feel your center while you interact with it. So we'll stop there for tonight. Namaste. Thanks, everyone, for your work leading up to the end of the preface, to the beginning of Rava, which means that in two weeks, we will revisit where we left off, sort of seeing how this work went for you tonight. I actually made a pocket sutra for this one that has the quotes from tonight, a couple of prompts, so something you can print out, put in your pocket for the next two weeks, and then we can uh, just sort of see your reflections at the beginning of our next class. So that'll all be, you know, linked up somehow for you to get that soon. And uh, and then we'll we'll actually dive into the dharnas in the ne next class. So I'm excited. Um, next week, Anandaman Yogita are doing a presentation on Seva. Super excited for that. They were both like really excited about this project. And I hope everybody can be here for that. And then again, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, don't forget about creative writing. That's right around the corner about three or four weeks from now. Uh, so if you have five minutes a day, do it. It can be about anything. Uh, Marcel is going to be leading the charge on our next phase of that. So thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend.